Hello everybody, welcome to the... No, it's a new new title for our podcast, man. Welcome yeah. to the Basu and Gade Notebook, the new iteration of our podcast. Arkham that's going to take, take some getting used to. Hello, Marc-Antoine Gade. We are still friends, everyone. Yes. Even though we are no longer co-workers, but now we are. We're very happy to be with uh, with SDPN and uh, really excited to be a part of what they're building. Um, as they add a Canadians podcast to their portfolio, the same guy who you can go on YouTube and see how he reacted to the Canadians beating the Maple Leafs in the first round a few years ago, um, now has a Canadians podcast in his in his portfolio along with uh, with Jesse Blake and Adam Wild, and we're really excited to be a part of it. Um, a real growing kind of business here, and and you know, circumstances just made it a perfect fit for us to come over here and continue what we've been doing for the last six years over at The Athletic and now doing it with SDPN. We're super excited. Yeah. So the people who were listening to us on The Athletic Support uh, back in the day, well, yeah. So uh, I'm not with The Athletic anymore. I'm with Radio Canada. And uh, so those who are familiar with the way that, you know, we've been doing our podcast uh, in, uh, in for the past few years, well, there's been a, there's going to be a few Changes first. Uh, first and foremost, well, uh, now there's going to be um, a video feed that's available on YouTube, which is uh, a nice addition. Uh, we're going to be there twice a week on Mondays and Fridays. So even though this we released this first episode on the Tuesday because of uh, Canadian Thanksgiving, we will have our regular shows on Mondays and on Fridays. And uh, but they're going to be only in English because. You know, I, I'm busy doing a, f a podcast in French back at the Radio Canada, so it's going to be only in English. So for those who uh, who are wondering, um, but otherwise, I mean, we intend to remain true to ourselves. So our tone, our opinions, our our our, our style uh, will largely remain the same. Yeah, just in case for our for our French listeners, um, you know, Marc Antoine mentioned that he's doing. Uh, the podcast at Radio Canada, so you can hear him in French. I do a weekly hit on 91.9 on on the George Larac and Stefan Gonzalez show in French um, every Wednesday, so you'll be able to hear me in French as well. But here we will be uh, 100% English, uh, but twice a week like we were last year and last season, and uh, so every Mondays and Fridays um, you will hear us. And we have some fun kind of regular features that we will get to eventually, but obviously... Um, We're at the beginning of the season, and we learned a lot about the Canadians on Monday. So we thought we would dive into just all the things that happened on Monday, and a lot. Well, from Sunday to Monday, which was basically basically overtook everything we learned over the course of training camp. It just had this massive gush of information when there was not a whole lot. Even line combinations were kind of in the dark until, uh, until Monday, until practice on Monday. And obviously the big waiver news on Sunday, uh, with Yol Armia and to a lesser extent, Gustav Lindstrom, uh, clearing waivers on Monday afternoon. So a lot of things became clear for this edition of the Canadians and we're going to get right into it right now. Yeah. So it's, it's funny because I remember at some point in training camp, uh, we were asked about Martin Saint Louis changing Alex Newhook from one group to another. There were still tons of guys at camp and he, And Martin said, 
Oh, you, you, you guys are, are, are lost a little bit, right? Well, I'm, I'm, I think I'm lost too. So it was, there was so much going on, so many movements, so many, so many moving parts that he seemed a bit confused himself. And there's a lot more clarity that has, that has happened, uh, in the last couple of days. But you mentioned Yoel Armia. I'd like to hear you first on, on that news because having him, uh, you know, put on waivers and eventually sent down to the Laval rocket. Um, I mean, from a strict, hockey perspective it was the thing to do but it came you know it was at the same time as it's sort of a gutsy move because uh we're he's sort of a a staple he's a veteran on this team he's the guy who's been there for a while uh it's a significant contract to bury uh down in laval so what did you make of arme being put on waivers well listen i mean this is clearly this is not this administration's guy No, I mean, this is this contract was signed by Mark Bergevin. It's not as if every contract signed by Mark Bergevin is undesirable to the Jeff Gordon, Ken Hughes regime, but uh, this one apparently is. Uh, and, you know, if you think to, um, you know, kind of a point I made in, in, in the story out of, out of Monday's practice is, is Martin St. Louis mentioning at the very beginning of camp after Tanner Pearson was acquired that with veterans, the body of work comes into play a lot more than with younger players. Well, Yola Armia's body of work with this administration has not been great. You know, it's, no. it's really just been a very pedestrian player, inconsistency. And that's one thing Marty mentioned, the body of work. How does a player acquire body of work? It's because of their consistency. Um, they haven't seen that from Yola Armia. So um, it's a big number, $3.4 million to, yeah. you know, and, and you're going to bury, you know, two-thirds of it or a third of it only um, in Laval. The rest of it's going to stay on the Canadians' books. But really, this is a culture thing to my eyes. Um, watching Armia play in the final preseason game in Ottawa, he was playing like a guy who who w just wanted to get through the last preseason game and get to the regular season because he has a job and he's safe and he doesn't have to do anything to prove himself and just kind of going through the motions. And and to me, well, I don't know. He probably wasn't aware of it, but he, he probably didn't know he was kind of fighting for a job. But and And even at that point, I kind of now I get the impression in retrospect, I didn't think it at the time, but in retrospect, I think they had made up their mind on Yule Armia when they got Tanner Pearson. And that yeah. really we looked at Tanner Pearson or I looked at Tanner Pearson as kind of filling a hole left by Mike Hoffman, but really ultimately he's filling a hole that was to be left by Yule Armia, at least for the time being. Yeah. And what's interesting also is that you look at guys like Raphael Hervé-Pinard, um, Emil Heinemann, Or, um, or Jesse Olonen, they all played a lot of minutes on PK during, uh, during training camp. Whereas mm -hmm. Armia in his two games played only 28 seconds. And that's a role that should have been his. If, if they were it's something to... he's legitimately good at. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So the fact that he was taken off of that, uh, was also a red flag. He should have known instead of going through the motions, he should have, so he should have known right from day one that his his job was in jeopardy. Um, and you could argue that the reason why he eventually was waived is because even though, even during regular season last year, uh, during the games, he was going through the motions too. So at some yeah. point, you know, you need to show something. And, you know, his body of work goes back. The, his quality work, the one that enabled him to get uh, the, that contract, goes back to the, Canadians in the playoffs going to the finals. That's when he was 
very effective with Corey Perry. But since then, under the new administration, he's been he's been absent, pedestrian or injured. Yeah, or injured. And so, but still, I think it does it does send a pretty clear message, and it sends and it's a good message to send for an administration that they're they're trying to run a meritocracy, and and obviously not every decision will be solely based on a meritocracy, but you know, bearing uh, or eating, you know, over $2 million in salary. Well, for a, for a guy to have a guy not play in Montreal, I think sends a message that you have to, you have to earn your spot. Um, and, and Armia clearly didn't do that, but you mentioned Ulanen playing on the PK. I mean, I found there's one thing I found interesting about what happened on Mondays is, even Ulanen himself, I remember last year at one point talking to Jesse Ulanen, you know, while the team was ravaged by injuries and just asking if he'd ever have killed penalties before and if, if he thinks he'd be good at it and if he'd like a shot at that. And he kind of laughed a bit because no, he's like, no, I've never played. I'm a power play guy. I've never yeah. played on the penalty kill. You know, I don't know what, how to play. And fast forward to Monday and he's like, I was happy to get on the penalty kill. Like now he knows that he needs a, a, a gate of entry into the NHL and, and you know, every player say, in the we NHL, gave it to him. Absolutely. He did. You know? And, and cause it's, it's not hard to see how his, his various skills, you know, he has, he has a quick first step. He has a good acceleration. He's, he's an excellent skater. He can, he's a relative, he's a smart player. You know, there's a lot of things that he does that could uh, translate into being, being a good penalty killer. The only thing he's missing is, any body of work to get back to that term. Like he's never done it at any level. Um, Always been a power play guy, but every player goes through this. Every player who arrives in the NHL, uh, we were talking a little while ago, you were talking about Guy Carboneau, you know, as a guy who was a prolific scorer in junior and shows who comes to the NHL, realized that's not going to work. I better find another way to do things. I think, yes, Ulanen is, is seeing that uh, in his usage, you know, it looks like he's going to be in a fourth line role to start the season, but, with a role on the penalty kill. And that's a way he can carve out a niche because yeah. he has offensive skills, but I don't think he has the type of offensive skills that would make him an offensive player in the NHL. Well, that's it. When you're, when you've been an offensive player at lower, lower levels, you arrive in the NHL and it's not quite that, you know, either it's adapt or die. So either yeah. you elevate your game or you adapt your game and change it in a way that you're going to be able to carve yourself a role because I don't. I don't see him having the sort of tools that would find earn him a spot on the top six anytime soon. Maybe on the third line eventually, depending on his improvement, depending on injuries. That I could see, uh, but that's pretty. I think he's 24 years old. I think it's as far as he can go in terms of of development. But if he starts in the NHL, he start if he starts with a regular spot on the team because it looks as though. Pizzetta might be the 13th forward for the time being. Mm. I think it's already a win for him. Uh, so, but he's got to he's got to run with it, take what the opportunities that are given to him, and and make the most out of it. Uh, but it's it was clearly his job to lose, and he it you know he played um, you know he he showcased himself quite interestingly in the eyes of of management because they like the fact that he came in slightly more fat uh slightly more fast slightly bigger okay. i thought you were gonna say slightly more fat no no <laughs> yeah no but they did no, use slightly the term heavy that's what i mean yeah, yeah. heavier yeah, yeah exactly yeah. but heavier but you know it did not affect his is his skating at all so no and and 
you know, it's an interesting kind of dynamic, I think. Obviously, his waiver status helped him, right? I mean, he had to oh, yeah, waivers sure. to go down to Laval. Emil Heinemann did not. And, and Martin St. Louis on Monday did not deny the fact that it kind of came down to the two of them. Um, and, and it's, it's an interesting kind of dynamic because I think it's similar. And, and Marty admitted it was a similar thing with Justin Barron and Matthias Norlander. And I think they, I think the similarities are not just that you're talking about two waiver exempt guys and even, well, Barron actually didn't need waivers to go down, but still like more of an NHL experienced guy. But I think in both the cases of Norlander and Heinemann, I would be encouraged by the fact that the organization wants them to go to Laval and play an offensive role. And so like that they see them in an offensive role eventually in the NHL, that Heinemann is not necessarily best served playing on a fourth line, perhaps. And, mm-hmm. and Marte Saint-Louis mentioned that he'll be in a better chair in Laval uh, than he would be in Montreal. And, and maybe by better, he means more appropriate or, or more similar to what we hope to see him in eventually in Montreal. And so I wouldn't be overly discouraged. And it depends on what the messaging was from the team. But to me, I look at kind of the way they went about it. Um, if I'm both Norlander and Heinemann, I look at this like, okay, they want me to go do this in Laval so that I could do something similar to that in the NHL. Eventually, I'm just not ready for that. Whereas with Ulanen, he would probably be in a chair in Laval that he will never, as you just mentioned, never really fill in Montreal. So, yeah. I mean, if if you want to look at the upside for the guys who got cut, I think that's it. Yeah, that's especially true, I think, for, for Heinemann. Uh, mm-hmm. For Norlinder, you were talking about meritocracy earlier. I think that between yeah. him and Barron, he had the better camp. Yeah, but again, meritocracy, but also practicality. You have to be practical. And so to me, if Barron winds up being the seventh defenseman, and it's not going to be set in stone, but it looks that way right now, um, he's got to be wondering, like, why are they willing to have me sit out? Wouldn't they rather have me play in Laval? Like, they could easily send me to Laval. Mm-hmm. And so they're willing to have me sit and, and kind of rotate in, and eventually he'll get he'll get games, but he's not going to play regularly. Whereas Norlander's going to go down to Laval, he's going to play a lot, especially based on the way he played in camp. Like he showed a lot of promise and really was the surprise of training camp in my eyes, um, and maybe deserved to make the team. But to me, Arbor Jackai quarterbacking the second power play unit that's another gate of entry, right? For both Norlander and Barron, Barron has to be, you know, looking at that and being like, okay, that's when I get my shot, I gonna have to make the most of that because, yeah. you know, when Marty was kind of explaining Jack, I being the second quarterback on the power play is, well, we foresee him in the lineup. So therefore he's, we want to get him reps as a second quarterback on the power play. But if Norlander were in the lineup, and even if Barron were in the lineup, you would think that one of them would be kind of more appropriate. So, yeah, I think I brought, I brought I think, that up. I, I brought that up with Barron on Monday, and he said, mm-hmm. he said last year. Don't forget last year in second half of the season, me and and Jack I we shared that responsibility. But now it's his job. He, he, that's that's one role that he has to go after because it can be potentially his. It doesn't doesn't have to be Jack I's. Of course, Jack I's got a great shot, but. Had they kept Norlander, I would have pictured Norlander being in that role a lot more than Jacki. Well, it's interesting. Today before practice, you know, the second unit went onto the second ice in Brossard on its own. They had already set up kind of three nets across the opposing blue line. Uh, Alex Burroughs was there, but really it was Marty, you know, it was Marty running the show. Um, very, very hands-on and specifically with Jacki. 
kind of they were doing breakouts explaining sort of angles that you can that you can attack sort of the 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 defensive perimeter that they would set up at the opposing blue line what angles you could take where the nets were placed in areas where they don't want to enter the zone and and he was really specifically showing them routes angles very very hands on and it seemed like the entire purpose of the entire exercise was not for the four other guys it was for Arbor Jack guy to learn how to kind of run an uh, a breakout on the power yeah. play even though he's done it before but from the looks of it to me um that looked like the primary objective so listen that's a great opportunity for Arbor Jack guy i mean let's not let's not kind of gloss that over um if he can prove efficient in that role then he just ups his value even more um on top of being sort of the one unique uh highly physical um you know tougher if you will sort of uh intimidating presence on defense uh if you can add this to your to your portfolio then you know you just added that much more value to 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 what you represent to the team yeah there are so many guys though that are in the second year of their career in the NHL there's so many guys that are potentially uh exposed to the sophomore slump uh it's not a myth but it certainly does not affect everybody but i mean according to studies it's basically one third of the second year guys will get sophomore slump one third will significantly improve and one third will just remain the same from their performance level in the first year so there's going to be there's bound to be guys on the canadians roster that might regress from their rookie season and i think jacka will be an interesting guy to watch because i wonder if he's in which category he's going to fall if they ask him a whole lot more than what he did last year they add those responsibilities on the power play you get you factor in the fact that he he was he didn't not play the second half of last year uh it's it's going to be it's going to be tricky uh it, there's it might be in terms of workload is he going to be up to the task or is he going to be one of those guys who takes a step back before taking another step forward yeah and and frankly at times during training camp i think we were i thought we were taking it for granted that he was on the team obviously that was completely false like not only is he on the team he's got a he's got a very solid role uh but you know i i did think he and 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 the way he navigates you know he made the team last year by being that kind of brute force guy you yeah. know and and we saw glimpses of it over training camp but he's really trying to transition into a, a phase where the league knows that he has that in him they know that he can fight they know he's going to look for big hits but he doesn't have to go out of his way trying to do that you know and so um so yeah i think from a sophomore slump perspective uh i think he's got a lot of things going on in terms of transitioning to his nhl persona if you will uh that maybe other second year players don't have to deal with you know like caden gooley is going to be in all likelihood, the same Caden Gooley that we saw last year and the same Caden Gooley that we've seen for years. You know, the one element of Caden Gooley's game that he would slowly like to incorporate is, ex is essentially what we're talking about with Jack High. It's kind of that meanness. Uh, you know, when he was in his last year of junior, if you were entering the zone on his side, you better have your head up. Like, he was yeah. he was, he was coming for you. Uh, but he made the point that I, he didn't do that in his first year of junior, that he built up to that point, um, which is something he would like to do in the NHL. Uh, it's funny, Jack is kind of going in the opposite direction, or he's trying to tone it down a little bit. Yeah. So Monday's practice, uh, the, the, which was the one where we saw 
you know, the 23 guys that were kept on the roster told us a lot. It was a, a very revealing practice because it was just an introduction to your 2023-2024 Montreal Canadiens. And I think one of the things that really uh, stood out is the fact that Mon uh, Martin Saint-Louis will work with a very malleable lineup. Mm -hmm. You know how he said throughout camp, we've got a lot of good options, a lot of guys that can play either wing or center, guys that can go up and down the lineup. You mentioned uh, Tanner Pearson earlier. He's one of those guys. Obviously, Raphael Harvey-Pinard is another guy who can go up and down the lineup. And there are others like that. Uh, Alex Newhook, who's going to start the season uh, on the left side of Kirby Dock. So, you know, how... How good an indicator is it when you see a team that seems to be so malleable? Is it is it a, is it necessarily a good thing, or you would like to see more things that are you know set in stone? Well, sure, I'm sure Marty Saint Louis would like to see more things set in stone. That's not where the Canadians are as a team, you know. I mean, I think. Listen, they're playing the Leafs on Wednesday. You know, the Leafs are not as malleable because they have really good players and they've played together for a really long time and they know how to play with each other. Yeah. Uh, it's just not true of the Canadians. You know, I mean, you have Suzuki and Caulfield who have, who, who, who appear to be a duo. And frankly, I think at some point in the season, we'll see how things go. And they're going to start the season with Josh Anderson, uh, which was like an unmitigated disaster last season. But, you know, it's <laughs> apparently, apparently, you know, Marty's kind of banking on some of the work he's done with Anderson to sort of yeah. diversify his game and change his game a little bit. But really, that's the only – Caulfield and Suzuki is really the only the only thing the Canadians have that can be anywhere near similar in terms of familiarity, in terms of, of, just, of just a known quantity yeah. um, that the Maple Leafs have in spades. You know, I mean, so it's, it's really – when you have a lineup like that, this is kind of – this is just Martin St. Louis' reality. And, 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 you know, you look at a guy like – They also have a lot of malleable players. You know, you have Sean Minahan who could play center and wing. You have Alex Newhook who could play center and wing. You have Kirby Doc who could play center and wing. Um, you have guys who can, you know, Raphael Harvey Pinard, Brendan Gallagher, even a Tanner Pearson maybe can who can play up and down the lineup. You can, you know, be just as comfortable on a fourth line as a first line. So at a certain point, I think Marte St. Louis has to look at his group of forwards and, and just be like, okay, listen, we're not – we don't have the firepower of the other teams in our division, you know, maybe Detroit excluded, but even that. Um, but what we do have is this, we have versatility, we have depth, we have these things. And so how can I get an advantage using that strength of ours? Yeah. Uh, because the other strengths you look on paper and they're obviously not there. So, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, yeah, it'd be nice if it wasn't so malleable. It'd be nice if, At the beginning of training camp, everyone's like, well, this is what the lineup's going to look like, and there's a job here, here, and here to be had. At the beginning of training camp, there were, what, 10 jobs to be had at forward. You know, I mean, maybe nine if you considered, you know, if you considered it a given that Kirby Doc was going to be the second line center, Suzuki and Caulfield were going to be on the first line. That was it. Yeah. There were nine spots up for grabs, not necessarily in terms of roster spots, but in terms of where you play in the lineup. It was anyone's game. And honestly, like before practice on Monday, we weren't really sure what we were going to see. And it's funny as reporters, you know, we're like we, it's catnip lines at practice, you know, like we, like we need that stuff. And, and, you know, and people who follow us on Twitter or read us, they want that stuff too. And we hadn't had it for so long. Yeah. 
Yeah. Nothing that we could, that really gave an indication of what was going to happen in the season. So on Monday it was finally, we have that, but I think it's just a reflection of where the Canadians are. Like it's, they have to be malleable by they're malleable by default. It's not like yeah, they want to But be. there's also the fact that, you know, if you're, if you want to set things in stone a lot with that sort of team, if things don't work out or if there are injuries, you have to show that you can, move around, have chemistry with different guys, and that everybody's got the the same understanding of what's required of them no matter who they play with. Because even Suzuki and Caulfield, at some point, who knows? They might be separated at some point in the season. There's, if, there's a very valid argument to be made that they should be separated. Yeah. Like right so, now. <laughs> so. who, who knows? Maybe we'll see Caulfield with Doc at some point in the season. So I, I, I like that because – It's not necessarily the fact that they there's no real certainties. It's it's to me what's important is those 12 players are they better than the 12 players the Canadians had before? And if they move around, if they prove that each of those guys, if they're asked to play a role in the top six, will be able to do the job. Well, that's good. It's got to be death by a thousand cuts with the Montreal Canadiens because whether you like it or not, it's still. It, it, it's still a weak link team. It's not a strong link team. There it is. Yeah, I know it's a, one of our pet link, peeves. Weak link. Yes. No. No. I'm so happy because I wrote about it. I don't know when. At some point, in training camp, just not not that long ago, about a week ago, and and I asked Marty about that because I remember asking. It's funny actually. Montremblant. I, I asked yeah. him in Montremblant, but I I also did. I also wrote this exact story coming off opening night. I think it was four years ago, and it was in Toronto. And I asked Mike Babcock about it. Mike Babcock. Is obviously was coaching a strong link team at the time. Sorry for everyone who's not aware of the strong link weak link theory. It's this, it's 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 a theory where um, some sports are strong link sports where if you have the best player, you have the best chance of winning, and some are weak link sports where your worst players have to be better than the other team's worst players in order to give you the best chance of winning. So, like soccer is an example of a weak link sport. Basketball, an example of a strong link sport. And I remember I asked Babcock after that. The for morning skate ahead of the season opener, how where he felt about that, and he surprisingly um, mentioned depth. Yeah, you know he he had some of the he he had arguably the most strong link team in the league at that time in terms of their salary structure and everything. You know the Leafs have been top heavy in terms of their money for for forever now, um, and he was like, I've never seen a team win without depth, and he's right. It's true, you, but you need a combination of the two. So Marty. Um, I asked him about it and he hadn't heard that theory. And so I actually shared, there's a Malcolm Gladwell podcast that, that refers to this about college financing in the United States, but applies this theory to that. And uh, I sent it to him and, and, you know, asked him to listen to it and, and, or he was happy to listen to it. And he, he kind of thought hockey falls closer to soccer than it would to basketball or closer to weak link than to strong link. And you look at his team, and that's kind of how he has to coach his team. I mean, he has a he has a good weak league team. You know, like, I mean, I think the fourth line is it's currently constituted, assuming what we saw on Monday sticks through Wednesday. Um, you know, Ulanen, Evans, and Harvey Pinard. You know, you're looking at a guy in Harvey Pinard who was lighting up the NHL last year for a period of time and, and was one of the hottest scorers in the league playing with Nick Suzuki. Um Scoring on scoring once every four times he shot the puck, which obviously is not sustainable, but still showed an ability to play in high leverage situations. 
and Ulan we already talked about, but you know, and Jake Evans is a pretty solid fourth line center. And so, you know, my thing is that if you can, you know, game hockey's a game of matchups, right? Yeah. And so oftentimes the the bottom end of the lineup is asked to kind of break even so the top end guys can win their matchups. I think the Canadians it might not be fair, but I think to some extent against certain teams, and I think Toronto being one of them, might be asking their top guys to break even so that maybe their bottom guys can win their matchups and that that could be their sort of path to victory. Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned the fourth line because we I was referring to Yoel Armia playing on the fourth line with uh, Corey Perry and, um, and, and Eric, Eric Stahl. Stahl. During yeah. the playoffs, and there you go. You had a very, very strong fourth line. It helped the Canadians because during all of Marc Benjamin's tenure, uh, the Canadians were a weakling team. You know, yeah. so that's how they were built because their only star was in was in nets. But otherwise, you know, you look at the uh, at the now at they don't even have power. that. What's that? Now they don't even have that. <laughs> no, they don't. Even have they that don't. Star in nets. Yeah. <laughs> no, they you don't. And might as well since we you, you bring up the goalies, let's let's switch to that because, uh, you know, I was watching the the waiver wire this afternoon, and you realize that there are other teams uh, in the Atlantic Division like Buffalo or Detroit that are that have decided also to start the season with three goalies on their roster, and today uh, in uh, on uh, on the on Monday afternoon you had. The Colorado Avalanche, who uh, mm-hmm. who, who selected, who, who claimed uh, Ivan Provetsov from Arizona, and funny enough, um, Provetsov was is 24 years old. His um, his safe percentage in the NHL is 871. Caden Primo is 24 years old, and his safe percentage in the NHL is 871. <laughs> so. If so, that I, I I suspected that the uh, Colorado Avalanche wanted, you know, they they were looking for a goalie because Pavel Francouz is heading uh, to the IR again, mm-hmm. and they're going to rely on just one goalie again. So they had to look for a capable backup, and they chose to go that route to go with a younger, uh, developing goalie that they could, you know, that they could, quote unquote, tolerate on their lineup and 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 and. You know, try to uh, develop into a capable goaltender. Uh, so they went with Provetsov, but had Primo been available, maybe he would have been the guy. So I think that even more than Primo's upside or how he has played so far in the NHL or even how he performed in camp, the 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 the, the concern from management that he might be claimed, and that would put the Montreal Canadiens in a position where. After Allen and Montembeau, it goes directly to Jakob Dobesh, and they did not want that because they knew that they'd be exposed in terms of of lack of depth. Uh, that's what forced them basically uh, to to say, "Well, you know what? We're going to start the season with three goalies." Yeah, not only that, but just the the notion of losing a player for nothing gives Ken Hughes hives. You know, yeah. it's just like it's 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 he refuses to let that happen. You know, that's why Michael Pizzetta spent two months as a healthy scratch last season to start the year because they did not want to lose him for nothing. And they were convinced that he was going to get claimed on waivers. Caden Primo is in a similar spot, except I would say, um, listen, Jake Allen and Sam Montembeau did not have a great training camp. Neither of them. They were both in fact, quite bad. 
Um, I don't think it's really telling of how they're going to perform in the regular season. But if it continues and the games count, Caden Primo's sitting right there. And so, yeah. you know, there is, you know, and it's, it's listen, we're starting the season. Sam Montembeau does not have a contract extension, um, which we thought would have happened by now. I think it's fair to say, and I'm, I'm mildly surprised that it didn't. Are um, you? Really? A little bit. Yeah. Okay. Because there's there's a risk that he's going to, if he performs the way he was trending last season, mm-hmm. um, then the price point goes up. I mean, then yeah, yeah. The, you're looking at a bigger sample of quality play, and so that's a risk that they're taking. But I think the other side of it is that the sample that we saw last season wasn't all that big. And so I think if from the Canadian's point of view, I think it's a fair way to look at it. Like, okay, we'd like to see more of it and make sure it's real because he would hardly be the first goalie we've ever seen to go on a hot streak out of nowhere and then crash back down to earth. Um, but if it is, you know, and, and, but if it is real and he continues playing well, um, then that contract negotiation is going to be trickier, you know? So yeah. it's, but I think that's, still. that, that was, that was Montembeau's, uh, Montembeau's camp argument. And because Montabo wanted to have a contract, he was willing oh, yeah. to, he, to, you know, to, to sign the deal before the season. But it's just that at some point, even before uh, the training camp started, I really got the sense from the Canadians that they were in no hurry whatsoever to have this done. So if it's got to be done, you know, after Christmas, let it be. If it's got to be done after the season, let it be. But I didn't sense any urgency on their part to. To, to sort this situation out before the season. Well, I mean, the reality is, is that in all likelihood, Sam Montembeau is not their goaltender of the future. It's not going to be a long-term contract where they think, okay, he's going to be our goalie when we expect to be competitive. Yeah. He is, he's a bridge goalie. And so this would be a bridge contract. And, you know, I don't, I don't know. I think, I think Sam would have been open to signing a, a, a It's not technically a bridge contract the way we think of bridge contracts traditionally, but to signing that the kind of contract that Jake Allen signed essentially, yeah. which is to get the Canadians to a point where one of their goalie prospects is nearing NHL readiness. You know, whether that's Dobesh, whether that's even Primo, whether that's Jacob Fowler, whether that's the Russian goalie they drafted. I mean, there's, there's, there's now there are, there are goalies in the pipeline, many of them, um, that they could realistically hope could be ready in three years, let's say. So, uh, but in any case, the point being that he doesn't have a contract extension and, and now, so that kind of ups uh, his pressure to perform. Didn't have a great camp. Doesn't mean it's not the end of the world, but if I'm Caden Primo and I'm looking how Jack Allen played, I'm looking at how Sam Multiple played because he knows why he's made the team. You know, I mean, he said on Monday, when did you know you made the team? He said, well, when I wasn't on waivers <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> you know, so, so like he knows why, he, he knows why he made the team. He's not, he's not stupid. He's the third goalie. It's, it's, it is what it is, yeah. but there could be an opportunity if, if we get two weeks into the season, there's also kind of a sweet spot that the Canadians, I think are trying to identify because, you know, the, uh, The big player here is Tampa. What is Tampa going to do? Is Tampa's lurking? You know, Tampa just submitted their opening roster yesterday. 
uh, $2 under, uh, $2 under the cap plus all their kind of LTIR things, you know? And so I think they, that's they, a record being so close to the cap. They no, Breeze has done it before. He did it. In fact, yeah, at two dollars, I thought it was something like eight dollars or so. Oh, it might have. Yeah, it was. It was. It was similarly ridiculously close. Like it was just <laughs> like so. So they did that. You know, signing Austin Watson and getting just sliding two bucks in. So they basically fully uh, maximized. Yeah. Um, what they'll get for uh, Brent Seabrook and uh, the second guy is escaping me. But anyhow, fully maximizing their LTIR capabilities. Um, and so now, now that they've done that, and they can actually put Andre Vasilevsky on in-season LTIR, um, they have some money to play with. That's it. And so they can go and get a goalie. And so now, all these teams that are keeping three goalies uh, have to figure out how this is going to play out. And I think, listen, I think there's honestly there's there's still a possibility that Primo gets traded. Like, I mean, it's it's you know it's, but I don't think the Canadians are willing to roll the dice that. Primo would get claimed, even though to me personally, I, I have trouble seeing a scenario where a team looks at Caden Primo and again, his body of work and says, Oh, that's a guy I want on my NHL roster. No questions asked. I'm a hundred percent going to go get him. Yeah. To be my backup goalie in the NHL. He's yeah. going to be my safety net. And I'm going to feel totally comfortable with that. I just don't see how that could be the case, but the Canadians apparently seem to think that is the case. Yeah, well, that's I think that's that's the reason why I was surprised to see that to see them making that decision because I was making the same calculation as you because you claim a goalie you're going to keep it on your roster so he's got a better he's got to be better than your actual backup and there's not that many teams that were in that situation but you know you look I mentioned earlier a Buffalo who's keeping three goalies because Comrie. Could be, you know, uh, snatched on on waivers. Uh, Detroit has kept Alex Lyon as a third line, uh, th third string goalie. He's a guy who could have been a great fit for Tampa, but mm -hmm. Tampa chose to chose to pass on on Martin Jones, and so they're going to stick with Johansson. And that second guy is named Matt Tumpkins. That's 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 who he is. So <laughs> yeah, but I, I do. I also do think that there was maybe. I don't think I don't know. I'm not sure if Tampa was able to act until they did the things that they did on Monday. Yeah. Because they had to get to the opening night roster deadline, $2 away from, from maximizing their LTIR, you know? So it's, there might've been an opportunity missed there to, to slide a goalie past them. But I also don't think, I don't think it's only Tampa that the Canadians or any other team are worried about. I think there are some other teams who are kind of, looking for around to see if there's a goalie available. And so, mm -hmm. so it's going to be a dance over the next coming days, perhaps weeks, who knows how long this is going to last, but um, well, luckily, I mean, apart, apart from the um, Vegas, Arizona and St. Louis trip at the end of October, early November, the first month and a half is really favorable for the Canadians. You know, they don't have a lot of, They don't have a lot of games, but they have... They play two so games they, a week for the first two weeks of the season. I'm sorry? There's, they play two games a week for the first it. two weeks of the season. There, yeah. Well, there you go. So in that sense, it's um, it, they can go with having only one extra forward, one extra defenseman, and 
not carrying too many extras and having that third string goalie because it's not going to be such a pressing need. Eventually, later on in schedule, it, it might become more of an issue, but they've got some leeway there. But they play their first back to back on October 23rd and 24th. They play in Buffalo and at home to New Jersey. There you go. So they have a they have a two week cushion where there, there's not much. It's not a very stressful schedule. But and it's fact- actually and it's actually a very it's not a very difficult schedule either in terms of just the quality of teams that they're going to face. Yeah, but whoever faces the Canadians, they can say the same thing that. They're not facing oh, yeah, the yeah, yeah. opposition. No, of course. Well, of course <laughs> yeah. not. But I mean, it's just, you know, other way that, like they got Toronto, Chicago, Minnesota, Washington, Buffalo, Jersey, which is obviously tough. Then they got Columbus, uh, Winnipeg, and then they go on that trip you were talking about. So, yeah. yeah. The fact that so much has been made about a third string goalie and Caden Primo situation and all that during camp, I wonder to which extent it's not a sign that it was not a camp with a whole lot of drama. Uh, there, there was not a lot of open spots. You know, you were talking earlier about the fact that there were nine jobs for grabs, but it was more about higher key, where is Slot, depth. slotting, and, yeah. Exactly. And in that sense, I think that camp was very interesting to see where uh, where the chips fell. But in terms of surprises or something like that, I think that there was, I think people... Hang on, hang on to the uh, the the hope that there would be someone that really exploded or came out of nowhere or forced himself into a roster spot. Um, what did you make of you know the, the, either the surprises or the disappointment that we saw at camp? Uh, so, I mean, Marty the other day, I think he was being asked about Baron, and he's like, "I don't think anyone, I don't think anyone had bad camp." Yeah, and, what was that? And, well, you know, I mean, listen, quite clearly, Yoel Armia had a bad camp, but you know, I'm, I would have liked to have seen more from Justin Barron, and I think yeah. Barron's got Barron's reached a point in his career. Listen, he's still waiver exempt, but he's 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 getting to a point where he's got to show why he was a first round pick, and he just hasn't shown that. You know, I, I didn't think his level of urgency in training camp was high enough. Um, he seemed timid on the ice. Uh, you know, I think there's a lot, the tools are there for him. He just seems afraid to use them. And he's, he's kind of in this, in, in this, not bad. because it's, it is good for young players to be wary of making mistakes, but you don't want to let that cripple you, you know? And, and it's interesting, you know, we were talking to Yuri Slavkovsky about that uh, after the game in Ottawa on Saturday night where, you know, he admitted last year he was highly focused on not making mistakes and being a good player for the team, not putting the team in trouble. Uh, I think for Barron to be effective, there has to be some element of risk to his game. And and when, when you look at how Norlander performed in camp, he was taking those risks. He wasn't afraid. He was playing to his strengths and and even defensively was being assertive and aggressive and, and going at guys – And, and Barron just seems to be sitting back and making sure nothing gets behind him and making sure he doesn't turn the puck over, which is great. No one wants him to do those things, but you're not going to do anything good when that's your only focus is not to do anything bad. And so, but he still, he still turned the puck over more than Norlinda did, despite the fact that he was trying not to make mistakes. Yeah. So, I mean, listen, that's, that's, that's one guy I would be disappointed in. Um, mm. And my, 
I'm I'm really quite sold on Emil Heinemann. I got to say, like it's it's you look at the package, the physical package. You know, Canadians are not awash in like huge young forwards. You know, I mean, the big reason why they took your Slavkovsky is because of the frame. Kirby Doc's a big guy, and they have some. You know, they have Nick Suzuki always gets labeled as a small player. He's he's I think he weighed in at two ten or two fifteen right, this year. He's he's, he's he's a very solid guy, even though he's five eleven. Um, but you look at Heineman, he stands out in that forward group. He's 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 an appealing his appealing aspects to him or what it what was Timmons's word that he that he liked to use Trevor Timmons he always, had, he's got a dimension a, a dimension yes that's right so he has yeah. you know that shot of his is a dimension the release his ability yeah. to get it off um and I think he showed during cra- training camp that he can bring a physical dimension um and that he can play with good players you know I mean the fact that he opened camp playing with Suzuki and Caulfield uh, to me was was quite telling he didn't last very long there but you know they don't come up with those line combinations just in a bar on a napkin you know and like just kind of come up, like they wanted to see something on day one of training camp and and they decided that what we wanted to see was Emil Heinemann and how he looked with those two guys and and yeah. I think he if I'm not mistaken got a preseason game with them uh but you know I mean we saw um I mean, it's, it's, to me, that's to go back to what I was saying before, you know, the fact that they didn't want Emil Heineman playing on a fourth line in Montreal. If I'm Emil Heineman, I take that as a positive. I'm sure he's disappointed that he got cut, but, you know, he's going to get top line minutes in Laval for as long as he's there. He'll probably be the first call up in terms of forwards. Um, I think the Canadians see a lot of offensive potential in him, and I think he showed some of it during this camp. Yeah. And he showed more than his shot. He's short, yeah. you know, a willingness to to engage physically, uh, to be strong on the forecheck. I think that he uh, he's got a very energetic brand of hockey to him. Uh, I think that there there's still some awareness issues that can be corrected. That was the, there was this game against uh, Toronto, and he was not the only one guilty on that. But his old line actually, um, they had spent 45 seconds in the Leafs' end, and at some point Marner came came back with the puck, entered the Canadian zone, and I think there was three Canadians players around him and Marner was alone. And the other guys, Heinemann being one of them, could have skated back to the bench, but they decided to to stay on the in the play. And basically they got stuck into their own end. Their 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 um you know their shifts lasted two minutes and they got scored on against. So well, I think, and I think one thing with Heinemann that you know, because he he was so good coming to Laval last year, uh, you know, he only played a handful of games in Laval. He's coming right out of Sweden. All the things we say about Norlander needing to adjust to the smaller ice, um, Reinbacker needing to adjust to the smaller ice at some point, obviously not this year or maybe not, not until March at least. Um, Emil Heinemann has to adjust to the smaller ice as well. So what you just mentioned has nothing to do with big ice or small ice, but uh angles and and forechecking and all the things that he did well um to me showed a pretty good adjustment to the small race. I mean he didn't look yeah. like a guy he didn't look like a guy who seemed who seemed to have lost his bearings during games. You know, I mean I think with Rhinebacker in particular early on, especially at the tournament in Buffalo, uh, there were multiple times where he literally skated full speed into the boards because 
didn't expect the ports to be there, you know? And so it's like, it's, it's objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Yes, exactly. Well, you know, (laughs) it takes me three strides to get from the net to the corner. Well, now it takes you two. So it's like, it's, you know, it's kind of that kind of thing. And so I think in Heinemann's case, he's, he's promising. Listen, I don't think he's ever going to be sort of this superstar forward for the Canadians. Well, I mean, who knows, but I doubt it. But as scoring depth, as a middle six guy, potentially down the road, I think, I think it's, I think it's possible. Yeah. Among the, the, the guys who were like pleasant surprises, I think that Alex Newhook has, has fit in nicely uh, on this mm-hmm. team so far. I really like the, the speed that he brings because it's a speed that's going to be very useful, I think, on, on the second power play. But it's also, he helps stretching the ice, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's why even on the wing, he can be very useful doing that. Um, and it just seems like there there's so many so many attributes to this guy it once again i don't know if it's going to work out as well as it did with kirby doc but i could easily see a situation where their former team will wonder why did you give up on that guy so early because there's there's true potential there one thing that stood out with me to me about him is his his closing speed is really good like listen he's fast obviously uh but he he has i think a knack for sort of using his speed properly. Marty Marty talks about that a lot where he won't go right at you on the forecheck. And then all of a sudden, when you think he's kind of too far to be a factor, he'll just boom, boom, boom. He'll take three quick strides and he's on them and, and it will really catch an opponent off guard. And, and I'm going to be intrigued to watch that during the regular season, because I think as a four, he's a sneaky, um, he uses his speed in a kind of a sneaky way as a forechecker. Like it really, Uh, that acceleration, that zero to 60 ability of his, um, I think can be quite effective. And it's interesting to me, you know, Marty talking about starting him on the wing, giving him fewer, fewer responsibilities, letting him play freer. Like, honestly, it's, it's copy paste, put it on repeat. All the things he said about Kirby doc last season, it's the exact same line. Like almost, I would, I was half tempted to go back and check the audio of him talking, explaining <laughs> Kirby Doc being on the wing to start the year last year. Yeah. It sounded like the exact same thing. So, I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. I think he's he's going to be – he's got a lot of dynamic elements to his game. I think his all-around game, his game away from the puck um, is strong and that he can, he can help the Canadians in their own end. Uh, I'll be curious to see if Anderson doesn't work out if Newhook winds up on that line at some point, I, I, I believe the Canadians kind of saw him as a fit there when they actually traded for him um, as, and that speed, particularly on defense being a positive factor to kind of lessen the load for Suzuki and Caulfield and try and yeah. shorten some of their shifts in the defensive zone. Um, but for now with doc and Slavkowski, that's, that's, that's a pretty quick line. You know I mean? Slavkowski is a pretty good skater. When he's like the, huge, when he's, the whole line is, has got huge potential. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, you know, we, we should talk a little bit about Slav. I mean, it's like, yeah. it's really like, it's, it's the guy is, the guy's got the weight of the world on his shoulders. Not only is he the number one overall pick for the Canadians, which is pressure enough. He's also seen as the future of Slovak hockey. He's, he's one of the biggest forwards in the NHL. Yeah. Um, has an amazing skill set and it's just like there's so many things that this guy has to manage 
And to see him smiling in the dressing room on Saturday night after the game against Ottawa where he played a pretty good game, had some ups and downs over training camp, but it's just – it's. It's weird to say that at 19, and this is what I hate, actually. It's, it shouldn't be – it's not a make-or-break season for your Slavkovsky. I think that should be very clear, and no one should look at it that way. But it's reality that every single thing he does is going to be scrutinized to no end. Game to game, a three-, four-, or five-game slump is going to be bigger than it should be. And But his headspace seems good. It seems really good, and I remember I, I I chatted with Cole Caulfield about that at the golf tournament. And he was like, "Yeah, I was texting with him. I was texting with him in the summer, and he knows what he has to do, and he's in a good space. Yeah, you don't have but, to worry about him." And I'm like, "Okay, well, I'll believe it when I see it." But so far, so far, so good. To me, it was his beaming smile in the locker yeah. room in Ottawa after the game on Saturday that that told it all. I think he looks like a guy who's. Who's happy where he's at? He understands the, he understands all that's going on, but everything you know. T- it, on the first day of training camp, actually at the golf tournament, Martin Saint-Louis came and he said to me, "It's a balance between pressure and pleasure. That's that's the balance that Slav has got to strike." And I feel as though he's the pleasure will come naturally. He's a, he's a guy who likes to have fun. He's got that bubbly personality. He's a He's naturally a very confident young man. And I think that, you know, the concern about killing his passion or anything, I think he's a long way from that because it oozes out of him. Mm-hmm. But the pressure, the pressure is is significant. There's a pressure from 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 the fans, the whole market, actually, because, you know, you're, you're tagged as a number one pick overall. And even though you remember on the night of uh, – on, on draft night uh, – all the fans that had those those uh, those, those Shane, Shane Wright jerseys, yeah. right? Nobody's going to be talking about Shane Wright anymore. He's been cut by the Seattle Kraken and, you know, they, who's in the American League to start the season. Got an exemption to play in the American League. Right. Yeah. But but in a few weeks from now, the Canadians are going to be in Arizona. And yeah. there might be a lot of chatter about Logan Cooley, even though Back in the draft, nobody was talking about Logan Cooley as a guy the Canadians could have taken. There were no Logan Cooley Canadians jerseys at the exactly. draft. Exactly. Yeah. He was he, very he had the talent to, to be. Very similar to Philip Zadina and Brady Kachuk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Gosh, that's a good comparison. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, exactly. When it came down to uh to Kotkin Yemi, well, the other guy that everybody thought that it would be the uh you know, the alternative was Zadina, but no, it turned out that it was it was Kachuk. Uh No, but several years later, everyone says, I really wanted them to draft Kachuk. Yeah. Whereas at the time, everyone was saying they should draft Zadina, including yeah. me. I'm not saying that, you know, I'm not saying I know anything more than anyone. Like, Zadina looked like a very tantalizing prospect, natural goal scorer. You know, there was nothing. Brady Kachuk's really kind of pedestrian numbers at college. You know, there was all sorts of things that sort of suggested that. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's, but you're right. That game in Arizona, which is coming up in less than a month. Um, it's going to be a talking that, point. Will, will be that again. I always wanted them to take Logan Cooley, says yeah. the guy who who had a Shane Wright jersey printed for the draft, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I mean, maybe ultimately, you know, I, I really, you know, in 10 years from now, people will say, I really wish they had picked the best player on that draft, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. But they go yeah, with, really with the information they that they got. David Yerichek is 
is really yeah. what I wanted. That's absolutely That's what it. I wanted. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, so. Slavkovsky might not end up ma- putting up either more points or as many highlight real plays as Cooley. But is he a guy that down the road is going to help you win playoff games? I think that's that's the measuring stick there. And to, in order to do that, uh, he needs to progress into his game. But he seems in a in a good place in order to do that. And he doesn't, you know, there's this whole cliche in hockey that players keep saying, yeah, I'm aware of the pressure, but there's no bigger pressure than the one I put on myself. Well, heck, it's 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 especially true with Slavkovsky because he's yes. I I just don't want to be good. I want to be one of the best, you know, and he's got extremely high expectations for himself. And so what's important here, um, it's funny that you mentioned that game in Arizona. The game in Arizona is on November 2nd. So this debate will not be settled between now and November 2nd. But obviously, if you're right, Sofkowski gets off to a good start, he can can lessen that environment that you just kind of previewed. November 2nd is also interesting, um, just kind of in closing here, because Christian Dvorak has been skating with the team for a while now. Yeah. Um, Ken Hughes, right off the bat, before training camp, said Christian Dvorak will not be ready before November. Their first game in November is November 2nd in Arizona, a date that also coincides with the minimum amount of time and the minimum number of games Christian Dvorak would have to miss in order to be placed on off-season LTIR, which really made the Canadians' Yeah, but actually, Arpen, I, th- I think that it's the game after. Because it's got to be 10 games and 24 days. So I think it's the game after the one in St. Louis. Is it not? But, But in so it, in terms of 24 games, oh, that was the 10th game. Yeah, that's the 10th yeah, game exactly. That's so it. it it. But the point remains the valid. Point, the point is that Christian Dvorak, if you watch him <laughs> skating, looks perfectly ready to start the season on Wednesday in Toronto, and he yeah. will not be doing that. So, um, anyhow, just is that a charade? Is that the, what's what sort of uh, shenanigans? Listen, is that? he's wearing a non-contact jersey. Yeah, that's all. Uh, That's all I'll say about that. But um, yes, he does. He's been skating for a while. He's been he's been he was skating with the guys before camp. He's been skating for easily a month or close yeah. to it. And so, anyhow, he's not going to start the season. But when, but all this to say that when he does return, whether it's in St. Louis after that Arizona game or whatever, or, you know, the minute that his LTIR minimum elapses, um, he's another factor that's going to make add to the malleability of this of this Canadians lineup because you know Sean Monaghan is currently playing center on the third line how long he stays there remains to be seen Newhook could get a slot there at some point but when Dvorak comes back you could potentially have Monaghan and and Newhook on the wing um, and really have a malleable lineup where you can really shape it depending on who you're facing whether it's at home or on the road really load it up or balance it out and, and, and gives Marty Uh, a lot more options because I think personally the ideal winger for Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield is Sean Monahan in my eyes. Okay. But it's, you know, remains to be seen. I think he would be good mm-hmm. with Doc and Slavkowski. I think Slavkowski played some of his best games last season with Monahan as a center. Uh, he basically makes every line he's on better, but for now he's going to be centering this, uh, this gray hair line, I guess Ken Hughes would call it, but with, uh, with, Tanner Pearson and Brendan Gallagher, um, which will sort of be, you know, sort of Marty's defensive anchor line, uh, yeah. especially on the road. Uh, you know, you have a D-zone draw. You don't know who Toronto's sending out. Send Monaghan, Pearson, and Gallagher out, and you should feel pretty safe. 
Yeah, that's that, that's an interesting line. It's not going to be the fastest by any means, but I wonder if it's going to be uh, the sort of line that will enable Monahan to reconnect with you know all of his offensive potential. Um, because you know, let's face it, Gallagher is a bit of a declining asset. Uh, jury's still out for Pearson. I mean, he has not played since back in November. In, in a, all three of them are in the same boat. That's what makes the line so interesting to me. They're all trying to write some version of a redemption story. Yeah, uh, Pearson's in the same boat as Monaghan was last year and frankly is this year coming back from an injury that ended his season not long after Pearson's season ended. Um, and Gallagher's... I mean, all three of them were at once upon a time... Highly effective offensive players in the NHL. Uh, to varying degrees, they're not anymore, at least in terms of being able to stay healthy or being effective. Um, it's a, it's a fascinating line in the sense that they're all they're all trying to write the same book. Yeah, more more or less, just in different. You know, some of the details are are a bit different, but they're basically all in the same boat. Yeah, exactly. And if if you want to if you want to go to the extent that they're It's it's keeping their their career alive. Well, that boat is the raft of the, the Medusa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, that boat is taking on water to some extent, but it's you know their ability to bail water is gonna is gonna determine how they do this season and whether they can give their career you know sort of a second wind. Which yeah. uh, in all three cases, I kind of I hope they do for their for their sake. I mean, they, I don't know Pearson very well, but you know Monahan's appears to be very well liked in that room. And obviously you and I both have a long history with Brendan Gallagher. I'd like nothing more for him to, to be able to perform at a level that he's used to uh, a highly competitive guy. Um, and I know that he, uh, he's, he's done a good job keeping it in, but he's keeping receipts. On yeah. People, people talking about the end of Brendan Gallagher and, and he's keeping receipts. And so at some point for his sake, on a personal level, I hope he's able to, to cash those receipts and be like, Hey, Arpin, I remember when you said this, I'll be like, yeah, sure. busted. Good for you, man. You proved yeah. me wrong. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, um, Arpin, there's a, there's going to be a ton to talk about when it comes to Montreal Canadiens. Their, their, their place in the Eastern Conference in the Atlantic Division will have, obviously, um, when we do our second episode of the Basu and Godin notebook, uh, we'll it have. It still a, sounds weird. <laughs> sounds I know. We'll get weird. used to yeah. it. We'll get used to it. We should um, explain to the listeners that we used to, you know, obviously, yeah. For those ahead, of you who yeah. subscribe to the Athletic, every Monday we ran, um, we ran a, a notebook called Basque and Godin. That was basically all it was called, but basically it was it was stuff we gathered over the course of the week, um, sort of the, the the greatest hits of things that didn't make it into stories. And we would we'd package it on Monday, and it became you know it's sort of among our readers on the Athletic um, became a popular thing. So obviously, Marc Antoine no, no longer works for the Athletic, so. We're not going to have a Basu and Godet notebook. Um, so we decided to, to have this be our Basu and Godet notebook. So you will have There it you twice a week instead of just once a week, but still on Mondays. Yeah, absolutely. And on Mondays, generally, we would like to uh, to run a mailbag and have uh, just answer questions from from our listeners. Um, so we've got a new uh, – we have a Twitter account, Basu and Godet. So B-A-S-U-A-N-D-G-O-D-I-N. And we've got an email uh, address where you can write to us. So basuengadin at gmail.com. So uh, you can just connect with us and that way uh, we can we could read your questions or comments and, and you know, uh, make it part of our uh, Monday episodes. So that's it. Well, I, I'm personally, I don't know about you, Arpin. Well, I, 
I sort of know, but I'm so excited to be back. I'm so excited to. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not, I'm not at all excited. I'm not at all excited. I hate. I hate this. Ah! Who the hell signed me up for this? I hate this. No, of course I'm excited. I'm super excited that we can do this, and I'm super excited to be part of SDPN and and to work with them all season and um. What and a build bunch! Of, a good bunch of people. That it's they. It, yeah, it's, so far, so far, so good. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, yeah. Let's see. It's good. Let's uh, no, it's it's it, it seems like. It, Seemed like a, a good team to play for. No, absolutely. I'm super excited, and I'm just glad that we'll be able to share, um, we share our thoughts with you, with all of you um, who are such loyal supporters of the podcast previously, um, that we found a way to to make this work so that we can continue uh, sharing our thoughts with you um, throughout the season, twice a week, right here on the STP. So spread the word. We're back. Bye, bye, everybody. <laughs> Talk to you Friday.